This Three Beards Media podcast may contain mature themes. And if you're not down with that, we got three words for you. Like the podcast. Nailed it. Would you like to sample some of my nuts? Hello, and welcome back yet again, dear listeners, to another edition of Old Man Strength, brought to you by Revelton Distilling Company and broadcasting live from the Gravitate Coworking Studios. I am Tim Johnson, joined, as always, by Chris Shipley. Chris, actually, I shouldn't even say as always. I was frankly, just going to bust you for that. Frankly, I uh, <laughs> uh, you, uh, you're broadcasting more live on this podcast than I have been uh, lately. I want to, first of all, say um, uh, a great thank you to, to Drew for covering me on the last episode. My daughter was in her school play where the turkeys went on strike and she was playing <laughs> a news reporter interviewing the pilgrims about the, about the first Thanksgiving. Uh, so it kind of felt like more important uh, to be here, but it was great that 100%. she was playing a a uh, news reporter while you had a news reporter on. I thought that was very fitting. That's right. And uh, and Drew did a a good enough job to cover for me, but not so good that he's going to replace me. Uh, at least he's, that is what I'm going to tell him or tell myself. Right. He's, I, no <laughs> he's no Steph Copley. I'll tell you. That. <laughs> no, Drew. Thank you very much for. For, for for covering for me last time um uh boy we're right into the heart of the holiday season and all that stuff so i'm sure there's going to be a lot more chaos and hectic whatever That's uh right. yeah so h- how are you holding up there chris uh not too bad not too bad I'm, I'm limping to the finish i turned 53 on monday so we'll see how that works uh, <laughs> I, am, uh, I always joke six years ago on my birthday i did colon prep in a ho- in a motel in Iowa City, so that I figure at this point I eat Jello and colon prep all day. So my rule is on my birthday I'm eating whatever the fuck I want, and I don't. Care. <laughs> so, and I'm not going to fucking Iowa City. I can tell you that. Oh no. So, <laughs> um. Well, well, good. Uh, w- yeah. I uh, I I mean I might eat some Jello on, on Monday in your honor, but not for colon <laughs> prep. Uh, right. in any way shape or form because that does not sound fun um well why don't we go ahead and get into it uh we got a little bit of a late start here for for the people who are following live i'm not including on their tv that which i have to say is kind of an impressive that's right uh, yeah uh, yeah yep absolutely so um that's right nice. you heard you're, you're no steph copley <laughs> uh, and, and it's because it's i mean technically she told tim to shut the fuck up so, yeah i know this is what you say this i'm gonna go back and say. listen to that episode anyways yeah. uh so uh i followed uh our guest uh, on twitter back and forth uh he's uh dropped some nuggets of some old-time cyclone memories and he hit me up when we had blaze on 
and was like, hey, you know, I hosted him on his visit. And then he was kind enough to get us in connection with Jim Walden. Um, so uh, we're super excited to, uh, to bring on um, former Iowa State uh, tight end and grad assistant for Walden uh, during uh, the Walden era and the Kreiner area. And I don't know, maybe the Donnie Duncan era too. I don't know how long he was there. Maybe he had a COVID year or two back then too. So, <laughs> uh, But uh, Keith Shroggy, thanks for coming on Old Man Strength. We really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. This is fantastic. I love this, this, this setup you guys have. I think it's, there's a lot of history with Iowa State that kind of gets brushed over at different times. And, you know, when you and I have talked a few times, both through Twitter and, and over on the phone and, and enjoying a beer at, uh, up in Ankeny that day, that was you know, a lot of good things to talk about. And there's a lot of, a lot of background to go into this thing. But I, I was a part of the uh, six-year plan. I, I crammed a four-year degree in the six years. That's what I did. And then I was, and then I went to grad school. So I think it was, I don't remember who it was. I think it was maybe uh, Tommy Boy. They were talking about. Yeah, 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 I said that the other night. A lot of people went to school for seven years. I got in by one. You know, (laughs) I always tell people I went to medical school just long enough to learn how to write. So there you go. It's good stuff. So yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to talk. Uh, you know, just kind of discuss what we did. Just kind of, you know, yeah. if you've got questions about days in the past, I go all the way back to my first game was 1976, and uh, the vet, the, the the doctor from my hometown, uh, Doctor Stickley, was an Iowa State vet med guy, and he took me down to my very first Iowa State game. We played, uh, I believe it was Utah in 1976 and a guy by the name of Tom Bosky had a day of, I, I mean, every, every play, the PA announcers, Tom Bosky on the tackle, Tom Bosky on the phone recovery, Tom Bosky on the deflection, Tom Bosky, Tom Bosky. And I got to actually meet him after the game, standing out in front of the Olsen dog. And uh, I was in awe. I was like, I was cycling at that very moment in time. I mean, I grew up in hot country, but I was a cycle. Yeah, I no, I I grew up a half hour from Iowa City. My birthplace is Iowa City, but uh, my both my folks were were Iowa State grads, so uh, I felt like sometimes the only cyclone in in Hawkeye country, um, <laughs> particularly at, at you know growing up at that time. Uh, at, you know, certainly the the early uh, Hayden Fry years people were definitely on the opposite end there i think and we'll get into that as we talk about yeah coach Schreiner and coach duncan and and uh and you know coming off of the the earl bruce johnny majors years and and kind of the the two different directions that those programs went into and very divergent paths um so uh i definitely understand that you know you you got to to experience falling in love with Iowa state during maybe some better years. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a little bit, a <laughs> little bit different for Chris and I during some more lean years. Sure. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, there, there is, there is definitely something, uh, again, in Hawkeye country to being kind of, you know, one of the few cyclones there that, that it feels a little bit of special ownership there as well. You got an interesting take on that a little while later. when we talked maybe that time between making the decision, it was, 
perfect well, what what prompted what prompted this whole series and and part of the reason bringing you on was you know throughout the football season and, and during the summer uh you know talk of uniforms and logos and and things like that and i would get a lot of pushback when i would say you know my, one of my favorite look god that tim that just messed me up when you just <laughs> that camera. So, totally messed me up good the whole thing good. skipped good good okay. that's that's the so, whole point yeah right so uh anyways um because honestly my one of my favorite logos is is the old iowa state logo with the way you know with the tornado underneath of it and, and the word iowa state and i would get so much pushback going i don't i don't want anything to do with that logo it represents a terrible time and things like that and i was like you know there were some pretty iconic players there and there was some there were some you know circumstances there that you guys don't know the history. And then when people are out here going, you know, uh, Campbell, uh, after the Ohio game, he should, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing. He can't coach. And I just want to go, well, you know, you might want to, you might want to be careful what you wish for here. Cause you got it pretty good mm -hmm. as opposed to before. So, and that was part of the conversation that you and I had. So what, let's start off there. What, what, recruiting what brought you to iowa state what i mean obviously you said you were an iowa state fan from the beginning but uh you were recruited by other schools so what what made you pull the trigger so i went to applicant or i went to parkersburg at the time it was applicant yep. parkersburg it became yeah and uh, we had a really good year my junior year uh, played in the semifinal played the, semi, uh, the state finals um our tailback dave hoagland had rushed for 2500 yards that year and I think 35 touchdowns in nine ball games. And uh, we go to the state championship game. He blows his knee out in the semifinals game of state. And I end up having a decent championship game. And flash forward to the next May, and I get a, uh, a phone call um, at night and says, may I speak to Keith Shoggy? And I'm, this is speaking. And this is Donnie Duncan from Iowa State University calling. And I start laughing. I'm thinking it's my friend. I hung up the phone. Yeah. I hung up the phone. I thought it was my buddy just calling, just bullshitting around, you know. And I, dad goes, who was that? I go, oh, the guys are jacking with me. And phone rings again. This is Keith. You know, this is Donnie Duncan. Don't hang up the phone. <laughs> I kind of kind of laughed, and he's like, "We'd like you to come down for the spring game." I think it might have been like March when they called. I'm like, I, "Let me check with my dad." I thought I didn't know why they were having me come down, you know. So I told him about it. He says, "Yeah, it sounds like a good thing." So I went down and met with them, and met with Matt Brown, was the offensive coordinator at the time for uh, for Iowa State back then. Yeah. And then they uh, brought me down for summer camp and went to the summer camp and had a really good camp. I think there were like nine guys that year out of the camp that ended up becoming Iowa State. They were part of my class. I think Eric Hundorf was there and Gibson was there. And, uh, Itty Bitty. Um, Curtis Levingston was there. Keith Fulton was there. Several guys were at that, at that camp. And they offered me midway through the fall that year and my coach, uh, Ed Thomas, always said, you know, go to the first place that offers you because they're the ones that want you the most. And that's that was, my decision was pretty easy. But I took a few other trips, but that was Iowa State was always in my blood. I mean, I mean, so you, you talk about 
uh mac brown right uh certainly donnie duncan's not a name that is going to necessarily raise a lot of eyebrows outside of iowa state but again he started like, the big 12. Uh, <laughs> like so i mean I, I mentioned you know uh, uh he had Earl to do with the big 12 i mean he, he went into the hall of fame um as a coach yeah you know, no, for, that... his, for his impact into the uh, rest in peace i mean he's... yeah I, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so obviously there there have been a lot of of you know big names. You know, certainly where Earl Bruce and Johnny Majors did at Pittsburgh and Ohio State and 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 all of that. And um, uh, you know, my 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 dad will probably go to his grave saying that if if Woody Hayes hadn't punched a player, Iowa State wouldn't have. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> my dad will go to his grave and say that if Woody Hayes hadn't punched a player, mm-hmm. Iowa State's football trajectory would be very different. Um, but, you know, uh, Pete Carroll had stints, you know, had a stint at Iowa State. Like, there have been a lot of coaches. Jimmy uh, Johnson, I believe, was here at one point. Jimmy, right? Like, yeah. like the, there have been a, a few. Jackie Sherrill. Yeah, yeah, ab- yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I And so when you get recruited uh, by someone like Donnie, who has someone like Mac Brown, who's, who's going to be, be showing you those things. Keep in uh, mind, Mac Brown was 31 years old. Yeah. Clarence yeah, Hudson, who was the running backs coach, he, I believe he was the first, if not the first, first or second uh, offensive coordinator in college football that was a, a black football coach. Mm-hmm. Um, Sparky Woods was on that team. He coached Appala- head coach Appalachian State, head coach South Carolina. Um, Jim Williams, the legendary Jim Williams, who sh- who should have been the the next head coach when Donnie when Donnie was let go. Jim mm-hmm. Williams should have been the head coach. But, I mean, Jim Williams should have been the head coach. And and if you talk to anybody else in the circle of teams of, of players on that team, they will tell you Jim Williams should have been that head coach. Yeah, so so I, that's an interesting point that you bring up, though, about all of these these coaches. Like, I don't know, for for whatever reason, through the late '80s through the mid '90s, it became like this old boys' club. And I'm not to say not to say that it isn't still an old boys' club. Um, I mean, Petrino's at Arkansas, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, but but I, you know, people like to to you know, complain that, you know, Matt Campbell is too young to be a head coach or, or, you know, some of these, some of these guys, you know, I think, I think there were some things that, that uh, I don't think they understand that coming out of that era of, of the late seventies and early eighties, like there were a lot of these guys that were cutting their teeth on, Hmm. on, uh, on some programs like Iowa state. There was a lot of great coaches on our, on our staff. I mean, there were, Bobby Elliott, I mean, mm-hmm. University, of Iowa, University of Iowa himself. I mean, Larry Coyer, 25 years in the NFL. I mean, come on. Yep. That, that staff was incredible and, and, and very personal type of guys. Brought in, I don't think they had a rating system of classes back then, like you were rated whatever, you know. I, I do know that the class before mine with, Oh my gosh! And they had some great players on that team: Kevin Eggleston and Jim Louvers and Kurt Thomas, and go down the list. Just guys that you know, three and four year letter winners. Um, and my class was a really good class. I had five guys that went to the NFL off of my class. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, we came in with twenty one, and we left with eight. 
<laughs> we talked so, a little bit about that. <laughs> you know, I mean, so you, you talked about Donnie Duncan and and the the, the other coach that should have been the coach. What led to Donnie leaving or or, or or not being the coach? For the people that don't know the story and, and don't know and, you know, don't aren't familiar with that era, because I don't know that I know why Donnie Duncan wasn't the coach after that. year. Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of speculation, and a lot of things that went on during that time. But I think part of it was we got off to fast starts and then we just, we kind of went towards the end where we didn't finish strong. Um, <laughs> you know, we were, I think we were five and six, my freshman year, I think is the record we had. Um, and we started off at Tennessee, lost at Tennessee, 23-21 on a, on a 53-yard field goal by Fouad Reves with a few minutes to go in the game. Reggie White was on that team. Willie Gault was on that team. I mean, we put, we had a good team to go down, and that was at Neyland Stadium. Their 23-21 was the final score of that game. We had a 21-20 lead. We were on their 45-yard line with four, a third and two, and we ran the ball, and the guy fumbled it. So they moved the ball about 15 yards, kicked the field goal, and ended up winning the game. But then we come back home, and we played Iowa, went to their place. Very first play of the game at Iowa, we threw a pick six at Tony Wanak. They never crossed midfield the rest of the game. We beat them 19 to seven. We beat their brains in. And we were good. But we just so happened to play in the same conference with Oklahoma, Nebraska, Colorado, and Okie State that were pretty damn good too. Missouri was really good back then. Yeah. So so I was I was having this conversation with with my nephew. My nephew is what, 22, 23. He's in grad school at Iowa State. Um I live up here in Minnesota and the Gophers just made a bowl game with a five and seven record. And, uh, I, I, you know, it's funny cause there's like two sides of this coin. Like some people are like, you just let the kids play it. I'm like, well then just have a 13, like Chris, you saw that. Yeah. Me, uh, me getting into a little bit of a, yeah. a, a debate there with, with, uh, former guest, uh, Jason to Russia. But, uh, um, you know, when, when Iowa state finally made that insight bowl in the, in the McCartney era, uh, first nine, one season of my lifetime, um, uh, there were still only 20 bowl games, right? That still meant that 40, uh, 40 teams were, were, were making a bowl back in, in the days of, of Earl Bruce and Johnny majors. I mean, you look at them, they had losing conference records overall. When you're playing Nebraska and Missouri and Oklahoma uh, over and over and over again, like you were lucky to have, you know, a, a five win conference record and you could still be a top 15, top 20 team with a losing conference record at the time. Certainly mm -hmm. conferences were a lot smaller. And so uh, that made uh, the ability to get through a conference with a winning record a, a lot tougher. Um, but I don't think people necessarily appreciate um how much more respected some of those teams would be uh, in your era in the modern day. Cause you would have gone to like three or four bowls with the records that you guys had. Well, my, my senior year, we went six and five. Yeah. My second year with, um, with Walden, we went six and five mm -hmm. um, and no bowl. Yeah. 
Yeah, and 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 it would be impossible to to go six and five and not get a bowl these days. Again, right. five and seven Minnesota. I. I, I've not been shy about my opinion about Minnesota sports on this podcast, <laughs> but I, when literally 63% of FBS teams are making a bowl game, 63%, little, literally just by the math, that means teams that aren't good are making bowl yeah. games. It's kind of hard to teach you know, like my nephew, who's in his 20s, what it meant to be a good team back in, in the 70s and 80s. And it just doesn't translate, I don't think. I believe Earl Bruce went 8-3 and three and didn't make a bowl game. Yeah. In 1976, maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just incredible. <laughs> yeah. And they I, finished, I believe they finished third in the big game that year. It's it's yeah. it's just insane to think about that. That yeah. is is the standard, and and not look. I don't. I, this is called old man strength. So we're going to be old and curmudgeonly for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, it's it's lost a certain amount of meaning because it means that people don't understand when they look back at history. They when they look back at like the absolute. Uh, challenges that a lot of programs are through like i certainly i look at, at, at kansas state and and the years of non-winning seasons that they had before uh, they were the worst college football team according to i think it was sports illustrated in like yeah. 1985 or 1986 they had the most losses of any division one program out there and look what they handed to them they did a hell of a job turned it around they at about the same time that Well, it was slightly after that, I guess, when we went kind of haywire with our stuff. I mean, it was. Yeah. I mean, if you really look at and, and how deep, if you really look deep at what happened during those times, it's it's unmistakable that there was no chance for us to be a quality team. It was impossible. Well, yeah. it, it and and I, I mentioned Hayden Fry earlier, but you know, Iowa had set a record for consecutive seasons without a winning season. Before he got there, within two, three seasons, he was turning them into a winner. And in a state like Iowa, Donnie Duncan had a winning record. Donnie Duncan was three and one against him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. right, right. But in but in a state like Iowa, which now I think people are understanding can support two Power Five teams. Uh, At the time, I think uh, you know, it seemed like it was always a. Uh, one team's up, the other's down, type of thing. Like it was hard to 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 find the parity that you can find right now. I certainly you want to talk about that point right there in nineteen. Yeah, yeah, please. January of nineteen eighty three. Yeah, I mean we're sitting there. Um, there was probably twenty or twenty five of us that went in and talked to that got a chance to speak with the athletic director Max Yurk at the time. Yep. And he asked several of us what we were looking for for a coach, and I know the vast majority of the people were in favor of Jim Jim Williams being the head football coach. Um, there were several coaches that wanted to bring Mac Brown back, even though he was just an offensive coordinator. They they saw that in him. He'd been 33 years old at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe too young, probably not. A leader's a leader, you know. I mean, the guy was incredible. Yep. And he asked us. We we came in and 
we were in the Olson building before these meetings, and the next day they had a, uh, a press conference, and we walked into, I think it was, it might have been like the Shima building, I think it was, I can't remember exactly, and they had ISU's Finer with Kreiner. I'm like, who the hell is this? <laughs> we had no idea who that was. You know, I mean, no clue. And his first words out of his mouth was, he's going to show people of Iowa how to recruit with a with a room full of players. Wow. <laughs> he was the old day Dion, is what he was. I was gonna, I was gonna say, yeah, he was, yeah. he he was the original prime. Swear to God, that was, <laughs> that was first thing, that was first words out of his mouth. I mean, we're at dinner that night around at the at training table, and myself and Kirk Thomas are sitting at the table, and he asked us what position we played. And I was a quarterback back then, um, and KT was a was the full was a, a fullback, and we told him, and he laughed, laughed. I mean, it was you want to talk about setting it on edge right from the very beginning. It was a very high level of distrust right off the bat, mm-hmm. and. It kind of ran throughout the team for quite a while. There were there were guys that liked him. I mean, and I, I'll tell you, he had some great coaches on that staff. Sure, he had some some fantastic coaches. Um, John Fox was on that staff. You know, Chicago, your your Bears. John yeah, Fox. I, 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 I try not to remember the John Fox. <laughs> Bears. Anytime hey, after Campbell. Lovey Smith, I anytime after Lovey Smith, I've kind of blocked out. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm currently now fondly looking at the Mark Tressman years compared to what we got going now. So, so I mean, Dave, Dave Campbell coached the Cowboys. I mean, yeah. these guys, yep. they, they had some quality coaches on that staff, but you had a leader that was not, he just, you never felt like you, you were a part of his team or a part of a team. You always felt like you were looking over your shoulder. You always felt questioning what was going on, you know, and, and then his first year comes in, he brings in 15 Jucos. So, and you remember what Coach Walden said, you only had 25 guys you could bring in. He brought 15 JUCOs. So that's two years of, of JUCOs. That means you have, you just eliminated 15 from your pot that you can mm-hmm. have to grow. I mean, if you're going to build a program, look at what Coach, how many JUCO transfers has Coach Campbell brought in? Very few. Yeah. And we do have transfers now because of the portal, which I swear to God, if they'd had a portal back then, 60 guys would have left Iowa State. That data that Kreiner yeah. spoke. But, um, you know, we had, it, it was I, tough. It was, yeah. It was tough times. And we, when you look at, you look right now, and we have our letter winners uh, weekends, mm-hmm. the, the highest percentage of players that come back for that weekend are guys from the, are the guys that were recruited under Duncan. Mm-hmm. And maybe the first year of Kreiner, but it was we have we always have a core nucleus of fifteen to twenty guys every time for every one of these things. But we had that because we needed each other as as young young men. You know, you, you don't grow up when you're living under your parents' roof. You grow up when you're you know you're away from it. Yeah, we got fed a you know pretty quick way of growing up because we had to we relied on ourselves. We relied on each other as as to support ourselves, to support ourselves, it was tough. And at that very time, when he said we're going to show people how to recruit, he quit recruiting the state of Iowa. I mean, he literally stopped. Yeah. And 
whoever was from state of Iowa was going to Iowa, that was good any good was going to Iowa after that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it, it's a it's a struggle, right? Because you know, Ed, Ed, Hayden did a good job of recruiting the state of Texas, but he also, right? But he also still owned Iowa at the time. Like he still he protected his backyard while going out, right? And, and it wasn't the case year before that. Yeah, no, yeah, and I, I, I think I think uh, I think Jim has uh, uh, um uh. uh Walden had told us, you know, like what he cared about as far as like um, players and uh, feeling supported as, like you said, growing up at college, right? Mm-hmm. right? What Coach Walden said was about growing up and not this um, boy. Kreiner uh, was a little bit more of this kind of this snake oil salesman type of thing you're seeing a lot of these days. Never. Some guys did, but the vast majority of us just didn't believe yeah. what was being told to us. I mean, sure. Sure. when you have, I went through these pictures and trying to figure out exactly who they were. And I, I counted 50 guys that were JUCOs in four years. Yeah. 22 assistant coaches in four years. That's, that's, you would, you would get done with the season and go into winter conditioning and you'd have a new position coach. Yeah, it was. There was no continuity. It was tough. It was really tough. Well, and, and all we and, had was each other, and we we relied on each other a lot. Still do. Yeah, I'm, I'm some of the very best friends I have in my in my life with with those guys. I I'll raise my hand first. I I was not a great football player, a collegiate football player, but I knew one thing I was going to be is I was going to be a great teammate. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I regulated myself to be. I, I you know, I wasn't good enough to play in, in day in and day out, game in, game out, but I was good enough to prepare and practice hard and play hard and, and practice and get other guys ready because no job too small in a football game. Well, and I'm sure that, that when you say things like you guys had each other and you always kind of had to look behind your back, it's probably because from that first day he didn't show any loyalty, whatever. He made it quite clear that you were not his guys. I saw a thing today, I think it was today, that listed the top receivers in Big 12, Big 8 history, and Tracy Henderson is still number nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you guys understand how great Tracy Henderson was? Uh, so I don't know. I don't know if you – so uh, – I don't know that I've heard of him before I started talking to you, Keith, honestly. Uh, That's the Tracy truth. Henderson, think about this. So is Doc he Rivers, in one of these photos? Is he in one of these photos you sent me? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. Doc Rivers, the basketball coach, mm-hmm. he played at was it Marquette? No, DePaul. I can't remember where he played. I think he was DePaul, wasn't he? Wasn't he? Just it doesn't matter. He went, anyway, Proviso, yeah. he went to Proviso East High School, and a freshman by the name of Tracy Henderson knocked him off of the point guard spot as a freshman. So, uh, um, I, I'm, I'm too sore and old and tired to play, uh, softball anymore. Um, but I used to play on a, on a, a co-rec softball league for a number of years. Um, and one day this, I, like I was wearing an Iowa state hat while I was playing softball. And uh, this ump is just giving it to me and giving it to me the entire game. 
and uh, and all of a sudden I realized there he is. I was like, oh shit, that's Tracy Henderson. And I and I and I and I went up and I introduced myself right at the game. I said, "Hey, my name's Tim." He goes, "Yeah, my name's Tracy." I said, "Yeah, I know Tracy. I know who you are." <laughs> <laughs> and from there on out, he 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 umped our our softball teams for like two years. Like literally, he lives up here and he umps uh, uh, co-rec softball. Like that's how much of an athlete that guy is. Like literally, basketball, wide receiver, like literally any sport to this day he still wants to be around and so from there on out um uh, you, he, Xavier he, Hutchinson, i think Xavier Hutchinson broke his his yeah, record yes, right? like 83, yeah. he had 83 yeah. catches it was yeah. a sophomore year yeah he, he had 150 catches in big eight play and he only played basically two years yeah because he got kicked off the team midway through his other year Yep, and he had a stint with I think the Giants and maybe one other team, and and yeah, uh, I mean he's he's a he's a hell of a guy. He's super nice. Uh, he can still uh, take it as much as he can give it. Uh, it's <laughs> it was a lot of fun to to have gotta, a little time. I got to tell you, athletically, our our receiver court just in my class. This is just my freshman class. Yeah. You had Tracy Henderson, Robbie Miner, who could take the top off any 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 defense. Okay. Curtis Livingston, he's you know, quick as a, as a blink. I mean, the guy is unbelievably quick. Yeah. You had Leon Washington out of, out of Bettendorf, 6'3", 200-pound, fresh and ran a 4'5". And then you had a guy out of Ankeny, Greg Butts, state champion in the, in the, in the hurdles, unbelievable athlete, played for Jerry Pizzetti. I mean, come on. I mean, we had unbelievable athletes there, and these guys were bound and determined to be two back tight end, one flanker, and one one split end, and that's what they were going to do. Yeah. I mean, you got a guy with David Archer who's in the NFL for how many years? Stick him in the shotgun and let him pick it apart. Throw it every down. You aren't going to run against those defenses anyway. Well, well, it was it was a lot of those wide receivers now that would have been converted to tight ends. Like in today's game, they're converted to tight ends, but at the time, they were guys that like the the throw it up and get it, like the jump ball type of guys. Like, um, like you know, Hakeem Butler, the the Eagles tried to make him a tight end, right? Because the the game has changed for tight ends. Yeah. Like it's changed what your role was when you played the position versus what some of those guys uh, were playing yeah. back in, in the day. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a different style, but back then you had those guys that could just out athlete anybody but you you think about the tight ends we had we had doran geist dan johnson played for the dolphins mm -hmm. doran geist you had jeff watkin dave smoke these guys are all conference players in, mm -hmm. in, in the big eight tight at tight end yeah. brett, brett blaney funniest guy you've ever seen in your life <laughs> guy's amazing you know i mean he's, he's out of hershey illinois yeah but phenomenal just so it's unfortunate you, you look at some of these guys and the talent that we had, but there was just that lack of leadership. And I know that kind of sounds hard, but it was, it was a lack. I, it's the truth. Yeah. I, I played for Ed Thomas. Right? Mm -hmm. famous, you want to do famous. Yeah. Yeah. Renowned all over the state. Unbelievable. I'll never forget the day when Gary Collins, who was an offensive tackle at Parkersburg, he, plays in the Shrine Bowl 
And after the Shrine Bowl, Iowa State gives him a scholarship. And I'm a sophomore, going into my sophomore year of high school. And I, and I remember saying to Coach Thomas, people from Parkersburg can get football scholarships? I had no idea. Hmm. And he, he sure. taps me on the shoulder, and he goes, if you work hard enough, and you took off running. He set the tone right there. I knew how to work hard, yeah. you know? But he, that's, he always left, left that carrot out in front of me. That, that guy, you could, do a, you could do a month of, of podcasts on that guy. So, uh, uh, Keith, I would be remiss if I did not ask this question because this is something that has bugged me for uh, the damn near 20 years since the Big 12 was formed. Um, I miss the Big 8. <laughs> I miss the Big 8. I miss playing everyone twice in basketball, once in football. I miss... Uh, I think a greater level of parody, like even, even in like the early nineties, Kansas had some really good football teams. Like I, I, I miss that. It seemed like when you're not recruiting against everybody and there aren't a billion Texas teams in, in, in the league, like, like when you have all of that, like I'm, I know those days are long gone. I know I'm a grumpy old man who is going to lament uh i my my only sorry side note my my only hope here is that someday we're going to just have four conferences and a bunch of eight team divisions and we're going to just be back to to exactly what the big eight was exactly right. <laughs> yeah doesn't it feel like we're like we're getting back to basically what we're, there's going to be four conferences a bunch of eight team divisions we're going to be back to what the big eight was and so when you talk about like you know all these all conference guys in the Big Eight, and and what it meant to have a winning record in the Big Eight. Uh, what was playing in the Big Eight like, and do you think that players today even understand that? Well, I don't know if the how the kids feel about you know seeing an Oklahoma a guy in Oklahoma Jersey come on the field or a guy with the, with the Nebraska helmet come on the field. Mm -hmm. um, but growing up, there was ABC game of the week and that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and all you had was, and back then, I believe if I'm not mistaken, you could only be on TV once. Mm -hmm. It was just once you could be on TV. So you always had the Oklahoma Nebraska game at the end of the year, you know? So, you know, one run in the wishbone, run, run in the eye. And, you know, they were, it, it was one versus two or somewhere in that vicinity where they were going to be. So going into those games, and it, it was hard not to be somewhat awestruck at times, like, especially as a freshman, you know, and then as you, you know, start to get older and mature, you start to realize, you know, they put their pants on the same way. Same time, <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, we, we played Oklahoma in the very first night game that like Jack Trice, Guess it's Cyclone Stadium at the time, but yep. Jack Price yep. Field, and that was ESPN Game of the Week, and it was we had them beat. We mm -hmm. had them beat. It was ten six, and it was they had a fourth and two, fourth and fourth and two, fourth and goal at the two or the one, and they jumped, their guard jumped off sides, 
that's fourth and six. And we're going to beat Oklahoma. They're number one in the country. And they run the option to the field. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. Jeff Braswell hit that fullback in the middle of the field, in the hole so freaking hard, the entire the entire stadium heard those that hit. <laughs> Jim Lubers hammers Danny Bradley, and Danny Bradley is going to the ground. And living in the margins, as Coach Campbell says, we had a guy celebrate just a little bit, and Danny Bradley flicks the ball out. And the guy that was a color commentator for the game on Saturday night, Spencer Tillman, scores a winning touchdown. Mm. They beat us 12-10. <laughs> but that was, you know, we, we played them as good as you could play them. Mm-hmm. That was that was quite the day. That was that was quite the game, quite the atmosphere. They had the muscle lights in. I mean, it was awesome. It was an awesome experience. But going to their place, you know, it's pretty imposing to go down to I think it was called Owen Field back in the back in the day. I don't know what it's called now. And Memorial Stadium in, in Lincoln and you know, going to Colorado was fun, but you know, you saw some great athletes in those places. Bosworth always gets all of the notoriety, but Paul Migliazzo was the best player on that defense. But, yeah, I agree with you. I think the Big Eight is, I think, and and I also agree with you, I think that what we're going to get back to is probably 18, 12 team divisions, something like that. Mm -hmm. You're going to be in the same thing. Instead of calling it the Big Eight or the Southwest Conference, they're going to call it the Central District or whatever the hell it's going to be. Yeah. 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 I mean it, it it just feels inevitable at this point that it, it that, that, that that the Power Five conference. I mean, like you look at what's going on in the Pac twelve. Um there are a lot of teams that are left behind in the Pac twelve that would fit in nicely into something, but like man, the Big Ten has teams from the East Coast to the West Coast. I can't imagine a UCLA Rutgers game. Like who is that benefiting? particularly during, you know, basketball season or some of these other uh, shoulder sports, uh, you know, I hated the the late kickoff time for BYU. I'll be honest. I'm an old man. I want to go to bed. I live in the the Eastern time zone. Try that one on. Yeah. That was a 10, 15 kick for me. And I'm older than you. (laughs) And the the adjustment for them too. I mean, I, if, you take a team from Rutgers that comes clear from the East Coast and goes and plays UCLA at 7.15 their time. They're kicking off at 10.15 at their body clock at 10.15 at night. I mean, is that really competitive? UCLA, UCLA flying across, like you say, to, to there to play a, a volleyball game on a Thursday Thursday night. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it doesn't make sense. I mean, it, it, it's, it's all about the, the TV money. I mean, Part of me would love to see the Amazon and Apple come in and just dump about $50 billion in on all of it and organize it themselves and make everybody go to Prime or to, to, to uh, Apple TV, and then that's where your college football is, and they say, say that to ESPN. I, I I think I think that's kind yeah. of brilliant, Keith. I, I think I, I think I you not are not wrong. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm already at this point, you know, I'm a cord cutter. Uh, Cable is... It already going the way of the dinosaur. Uh, right. The way I have to watch my games anyway is already through, you know, multiple streaming services or whatever. 
uh, you know, certainly it, like, like you mentioned only being on TV once. Like I remember as a kid, uh, listening to cyclone radio network. That was basically the way I, I knew about any Iowa state sports was not mm-hmm. right. If, if it weren't for the big peach, I wouldn't have even known about blaze Bryant's hair. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I did not host him. I did not host him, but I picked him up at the airport. So Robin Ross was the, was, the, was the coach that was recruiting him. And Robin says, hey, we get done with the meeting. And Robin was a defensive coordinator. I don't know why I was meeting with him, but he goes, I need you to go to the airport and pick a, a guy up at the airport. Like, yeah. All right, who am I picking up? He goes, um, you got to go get Blaze Bryant. I go, who's, who's that? He goes, he's a re- recruit we've got coming in. I go, well. What's he look like? He, I, he goes, you can't miss him. <laughs> and that's all he told me. That is all he told me. You can't miss him. So he 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 brought carry on only, but he had to check his hair and baggage. So yeah. so. So I'll never forget this. He has a five. He's landing at five o'clock, and I'm leaving the Olson building at four fifteen, and I got to get to the airport. I take off and I pull in, and back then you could just go through security and go to the gate, right? You didn't even have to. Oh, yeah. And so I'm standing there at the gate waiting for him, and I'm like, I have no idea who I'm looking for. And this guy comes in, and his hair is pointed like like this, and he hits all over the damn place. He had a big old mullet coming down the back of his head. <laughs> and I'm like, you must be Blaze. Sure enough, it was. And he and I developed a very good friendship. I, I, ended up, I was the uh, running back's GA, so I worked with Norm Anderson. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about a brilliant offensive mind? Holy cow, that guy was brilliant with Walden staff. Yeah, there you go. It wasn't quite that, <laughs> one, but it was. I, I love the fact that he sent these to me. Yeah, yeah he right. he literally like. Well, I mean, Blaze, Blaze, <laughs> I, I love you, man. I'm I, I'm very grateful that you're a friend of the podcast. But uh, yeah, man, I would take all advantage of showing off the hair that I have. Right. <laughs> if that's what that looked like at that time, <laughs> that guy that guy brought a whole new level of to the to our to our team. I mean, Joe Henderson was fantastic. Oh yeah, and then Blaze came in right behind him, and wow, Chris, Chris go back to to that last one. I want to point something out. Yep. Uh, when you pull this up, look at the size of that man's calves. Yeah. Is there any reason, like, how do you not know that man can outrun everyone on the field? He was, he had some power. He had, he had some explosiveness behind him. I mean, when like, he, when he hit the hole, he, he hit the hole. It was gone. I mean, he was, he was unbelievable. If he, and without injuries, I mean, he, and he yeah. talked about it in, in the NFL. It was such a, such a political game in, in the NFL. Well, yeah, I did know a lot of that. A lot of that was yeah. more about who you knew and, and yeah. uh, more than anything. Yeah. Did you sure. ever remember Steve Lester? Oh, of course. Uh, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, that guy. And then, and then our own administration killed their football team on that one when they, when he, uh, he had to take summer school and he, he passed all his classes. And then they say he can only take six hours in the fall of his next year. Mm-hmm. They made it impossible for him to to play. It was horrible. It was horrible. Um. Well, so so I want to I want to talk a little bit about um some of the challenges with coaches. I want to talk about some of the 
uh, issues that that Coach Kreiner brought to the program as far as as um, NCAA violations. I want to talk about some of the challenges that Walden had as an uphill battle mm-hmm. to kind of get over that. Uh, he did certainly um, to to bring in uh, Troy and some of the academic challenges there as well. Uh, but we're we're gonna go ahead and, and grab a word from our sponsor. We want to take a quick break here, okay. but I want to kind of get into maybe um, we've alluded to it. Uh, but if you don't mind, Keith, maybe just some of the the messier parts of yeah. of what that looks like. No problem. Uh, so uh, th- think about maybe uh, how you're going to be politically appropriate on talking about these things when we get back from the break. What are we talking about? At Revelton Distilling Company, everyone has become a part of the Revelton family. From the Taylors and their daughter who helped perfect their award-winning gins, to the team who installed Lucy, our 33-foot-tall custom-made still, right down to the local farms that provide our coveted corn, and even the cows on those farms who consume our mash byproduct. Want to see the farm to flask come to life? Now you can tour Lucy and find out where we take Iowa's harvest and transform it into our finest spirits. Choose between a 45-minute tour or find out even more by scheduling a VIP behind-the-scenes tour to get the taste of the full Revelton experience. You can visit them at 1400 West Clay Street in Osceola, Iowa, or find all of Revelton's award-winning spirits at any local grocery or spirits retailer. There are two addresses in my life that I think I would remember more than anything. 411 <laughs> West Summit Street is where I grew up, and 1400 West Clay Street in Osceola, Iowa. Um, if you get a chance, though, listeners, we would love to have you come out to 1400 West Clay Street in Osceola, Iowa on December 9th at Revelton Distilling. Uh, we are so proud that Rob and Christy Taylor have helped us bring all of this great content, all these great guests for Keith Shiragi to sit here and talk with us is just a dream come true for me. And it's because of the folks at Revelton Distilling. So please come on out and help us celebrate. We're going to do a lot of great things. You'll get to meet everyone here in the Three Birds Media family. You'll get to, uh, we're going to have a raffle. We're going to have events. We're going to have a lot of opportunity to interact a lot of great prizes. Chris, I don't know if there's anything else you want to tease with that, but we are very excited that we get to take everything that we're doing here and share it outward. Well, and you know, to capitalize on that, having sponsors like Rob and Christy at Revelton, Kyle and Gravitate allow us to do things like what we're going to do there and raise money for the Young Women's Resource Center. This is something that you and and I and Aaron talked about when we first wanted to start Three Beards Media was how we can use this for positivity and and to help others. Uh, and that's kind of what we are all about. I mean, things like this spur from a funny, you know, inside joke that Steph Copley does <laughs> that led to us playing an ad to, to invite people to donate every month or every time we have an episode to now we're going to have a, a, a nice fundraiser for them. So that's kind of what it's about, and we couldn't do that without the great sponsors that we have and the great and the great support. So, and and honestly, phenomenal guests that that come on and uh, and entertain our our listeners and our viewers and things like that. And you know, Aaron's not going to be there, so suck it, Aaron. He got to <laughs> stay home for his daughter's birthday. 
So, uh, no, uh, anyway, please, listeners, please uh, come on out. Come say hi. Uh, we will be excited to see you. And, again, uh, the Young Women's Resource Center is absolutely a great uh, program to support, and, and we would very much appreciate your support with that. Uh, so, Keith, uh, right before that break, I said I wanted to kind of get into maybe the the dirtier, messier sides of uh, Iowa State, and I know that you're not. Uh, shy necessarily about talking about some of those challenges. Um, uh, so I, you've already kind of alluded to the fact that, that, uh, you know, coach Reiner didn't have the team. Um, I, 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 I talked a little bit earlier about like snake oil salesman coaches. I think there've been a few that have been through here, like certainly up here in Minnesota, Tim Brewster was a guy who, you know, really sold people on a used car Mm-hmm. And and got a lemon, and I and I think Coach Kiner did something similar, but he also did not leave the program in great shape for Coach Walden to take over. That was rough. Um, I kind of alluded to you know the 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 dependency on bringing in JUCOs. Yeah. Um, but in bringing in JUCOs, not only did he bring in the guys from, and there were some great players. Don't don't get me wrong. I, there were some guys that, that fit in great, but there were some guys that did not belong yeah. in Central Isle. They they just didn't. I mean, it was culturally they did it wasn't a match. It just it just wasn't. And then you had you know the the processes of recruiting, the processes of getting rid of players like Tracy Henderson, uh, Curtis Levingston, Robbie Miner. Yeah, were, were they upstanding and great doing everything exactly the way everybody wants them to do no but nobody was mm-hmm. i mean not i shouldn't say nobody but yeah they they didn't do everything perfectly right sure but to kick them off the team because they didn't agree with what jim Cranor said um kind of turned their back on the other players of the team and then Robbie Miner petitions to get back on the team and he makes him dress in the janitor's closet. You know, I mean, what does that, what message is that? They didn't send a message to us that, that it was, it was about the team. It was about him. It was about, he isolated him and, and, and he didn't need to. I mean, doing things in practice and ridiculing players in practice in front of players. But then when it really got shitty was when you see assistant coaches fighting on the football field, fist fights on the football field, going into the locker room and sitting in the locker room and watching an assistant coach knock another assistant coach out. Yeah. What, what did that tell you? I mean, Guys that were elected captains of the football team but weren't put as the captain because you get one and they wanted somebody else to be the captain. Mm-hmm. So you lost the team in that respect. And then you get into the Ill, Ill, the illegal things that were being done. I, I, I swear to God, if it wasn't for SMU getting the death penalty, we should have. Mm-hmm. Because just the money that was paid. I heard I heard the phone conversations on the phone. The bottom yeah. money that was being paid. I lived with a guy that had the tape recorded, the, the tape recording of it. 
mean, Derek Sperling, remember Derek Sperling, that name? Yep. It was paid money to come to Iowa State. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think that's that's something that, that for a lot of our younger listeners, they don't, uh, they, they maybe don't remember the SMU death penalty and like what a big deal that was and what a turning point that was in college football. Yeah, a- absolutely, absolutely, and and I think, uh, <laughs> it it maybe just shown a big fat heavy spotlight on what was going on in in college sports at, at the time in general across across the board. I'm not gonna say that you know. Jim everybody, was the, everybody was this. Jim, didn't mean it was right. You know, a lot of people were were paying players. I mean, how we went to Oklahoma State and it looked like a a, a, a Corvette car lot. <laughs> yeah, you know? for sure, for sure. That was going on all over the fact, but it, but when it get particularly when it gets to be blatant and in, I mean, let, let's be honest, you, you you can't get away with something like that in Ames, Iowa. Like it's Ames, Iowa is very different. Uh, environment to try to do something like that with and if you're gonna do it uh to be as kind of blatant and as stupid frankly as 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 that coaching staff was it felt um i i, I don't know chris help me out here like like it, it it was obvious but also everyone was doing it but it was still dumb to, to be that obvious about it right yeah they i mean I think that goes to a little bit to maybe his arrogance, uh, you know, the, from what Keith has talked about, about how he came in and how he began and, and what he said to players and the air of arrogance that you weren't good enough to play for him and the arrogance of, uh, of bringing these Juco guys and then paying them. It was almost like he was sure that he was above it and, and, and they weren't going to catch him. He, I believe he won the national championship at Boise, Idaho in 1980. They were a division two. And three years later, he's at Iowa State. Now, I heard, and these are, you guys can look it up, but if you can find it, you can find it. But I heard that he was under investigation at a division two school. Yeah. <laughs> he sent graduate assistant coaches to other places, opponents, and acted like they were scouts for teams. I mean, how do you let that happen? How? How do you not know that bringing him in? I mean, I, he just—he he, just—he wasn't a fit for us. It just wasn't a fit for for Iowa State. We needed we, we needed a guy like Jim Williams. We needed a guy that that had a tremendous amount of character and ethics and, and a and a and a track record of success in in the state of Iowa as a as a high school coach. He was about 112 and 10 or something like that. As a high school football coach, he was one of the best offensive line coaches you'll find in your life. He was amazing. He was still coaching at Dowling until he passed away a couple of years ago. He was 89 or 90 years old at that time. And the kids revered him. They just, they held him in, in high regard. The guy was just filled with knowledge. And he cared about his players. And you can see it. I mean, you you can tell when when kids care about players or when care about coaches. So I've stumbled upon. Hold on, I, I've stumbled. No, go ahead. You go told ahead, me Chris. to look it up. I, I I didn't find anything on 
on that. But I've stumbled upon an article here from the L.A. Times, believe it or not, the L.A. Times from 1986, talking about his 21 months of unrest in Iowa State. Yeah. And, and I'll just read some of these these highlights. Uh, he 21-month period that he began when he kicked his two starting wide receivers off the team. Uh, he When he dismissed second-team All-American Tracy Henderson and Robbie Miner from the team for unspecified di- discipline. Uh, Miner's dismissal was later changed to a one-year suspension, but then was reduced to six, but then never played again anyways. Never played after that. Uh, there was some issues with uh, quarterback Alex Espinoza had been allowed to stay on the team, even though he was charged with assault in connection with two fights in mm-hmm. 1985. Um, I think the one that really kind of shocked me a little bit here, and and I, I, I've not heard this story before, redshirt freshman Clint Riggs. Yeah. I was his host. Committed suicide by shooting himself in his head. His mother said Riggs was depressed when he was told he was going to lose his scholarship practice. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, I, was, that was, I was his host when he came to town. He was from Mount Air, Iowa. Great young man, great kid. Just, I, I think part of the, you know, Clint had some issues with, um, he didn't have the success at college like he did in high school. Um, sure. And that on top of the fact that he was going to lose a scholarship. We, I heard that later. I did not know that at the time, but. Yeah, that was I and mean, at twenty one guys in my freshman class, we, we had eight that left finished. There's thirteen friends that were just let go or pushed out the door. Um sad. I mean and year after year. So when Walden comes in, and yeah, we had we had twenty six seniors that year, but there was only eight of them that had gone all five years. That's the one picture I had where we were sitting on the car and had our hands up like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let me pull that up. That, that's the stark contrast too. when we talked to Coach Walden. What I walked away from the most with that was how much he cared about his players, the, the way he spoke about Troy Davis and protecting Troy and making sure that he was taken care of. And even after he had lost his job, had made an effort to go to Coach McCarney and give him some information about Troy to make sure that, that those things were continued. Um it's just one of the things that I really admire about, about coach Walton. Yeah. That was, that was something Chris, as you pulled that up, like, uh, that I, that I, I feel like, um, maybe people don't appreciate enough about coach Walden, right? You know, he, they, they, coach Walden came in uh, with not necessarily a ton of fanfare, but also with a lot of success behind him. He had been a successful coach at at Washington State, right? Not a small program, not uh, something minor. Uh, Certainly would have been very different back in, you know, today uh, compared to back then. Um, But uh, he came in knowing full well that he had an uphill battle. Right, and I don't think I don't think he realized how uphill it was. Really? Okay. I, I think it, tell me I more about it, that. I think it kind of shocked him a little bit, you know. And and I'll tell you this: it wasn't just his players that he took care of. There was okay. there was got, my class. We we could all go to him, and he was he had an open door for us too. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, he was he was phenomenal. I mean, just a phenomenal person. It's still, I mean, just is a phenomenal person. That guy, he helped me get started in coaching. That's Robbie right behind me there. Um, of course, Dennis Gibson's in the front. Robbie's yeah, just on my behind the hand. Yeah. And then you got Brett Lawrence is in the is on the far right, and Bill Berthson played with the Giants. Greg Leiter in the back looks like the lumberjack back there. He was in the Niners. <laughs> You know, I mean, that dude was a big dude. That dude, that dude was the high school player of the year in Wisconsin, coming out of high school. And we had some great players on our team, some great players. He, he let her. He was three year starter for us. He put the tackle. So it was Bill Murphy. We, we made fun of Blaze's hair, but don't think that we're not going to talk about this mustache. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Styling, man. That's right. <laughs> uh. Well, no, I I think I uh, obviously you you helped connect us with with Coach Walden, um, uh, but certainly uh, a very genuine guy in general. But also, just uh, you can tell that he uh, he cared. Like, what what was the could, was that a palpable like difference in tenor to the program when when he came in? So, I, eighty six was my last year, and then eighty seven I kind of was around the program. I was a not I was still in I was still an undergrad. Remember, I, I crammed <laughs> a four year degree in six years, and then, <laughs> and then I went to Coach Walden and I asked him, you know, I, I, I'd like to get into the coaching business, and did do you have any contacts that I could, you know, send a letter to a real letter to, to inquire about being a graduate assistant. So he got me an interview with uh, Johnny majors. Mm -hmm. He got me an interview with Barry Switzer at Oklahoma. And he goes, when you get back, I want to talk to you. I said, okay. So I went down and talked to, to Johnny majors and had a really good conversation with him. Went to Oklahoma. I went from Ames to Knoxville, Knoxville to um, Norman, Norman back to, to Ames. They weren't bringing me in. I was paying for it myself, driving the car, doing whatever. And just got through that interview process. He goes, did anybody offer you a job? And I go, no. No, they didn't. He goes, did you ask for a job? I said, well, I didn't really know how to ask two icons yeah. About how to become a, a graduate assistant. So, no, I, I didn't. He goes, Why don't you want to coach here with me? I go, I didn't know you had a position open. He goes, I've got a position open as a graduate assistant. Do you want Do you want the job? I'm like, Can I have it? He goes, It's yours. So, that's how I got started coaching, was with him. He, so, I got started as a graduate assistant. And then you want to talk about learning about football. That guy's forgot more offense than most people know. Yeah. Holy God. I mean, you think about it. In in '89 with Blaze Bryant, we were three wides all the yeah. time. One running back, running motion, empty backfield. Steve, you're better than that guy. Go get open. And Brett Oberg threw the ball. And Brett mm -hmm. Oberg, I tell you what, you want to go to battle? I go. I go to any battle with that dude. 
he stood toe to toe with Ricky Bryan. Ricky Bryan was the Outland Trophy winner, I believe, for Oklahoma in 1989, and he didn't back down. He was ready to go to blows with him. And Ricky Bryan, six seven, two hundred ninety pounds, and Brett Oberg was six foot, one hundred ninety. He didn't care. One of the, one of the things that impressed me most about uh, Coach Walden when we, when we had him on, like what a month ago or whatever, mm -hmm. um, he's still a student of the game. Oh yeah, right. Like he's not he's not just like, man, I've been in beer long enough. Like I don't care anymore. Like like whatever. Right. <laughs> he still cares. Like the way he talks about offense like we talked about like how much the game has changed between like the old kind of like classic nebraska eye formation mm -hmm. and all of that like and he talks about how the game has evolved he you can tell when he watches a game like when i drink beer i drink beer as a fan anymore like i've i've tried to shut off like the way that i judge beer well, that's not entirely true. I I still no, probably I know I know, uh, but that's just like a little kind of like a little like a microcosm of what he does. What Coach Walt, you can tell at his age when he should not give a shit about anything, any like like he should just be able to just relax and enjoy everything that he's done, and you know, beautiful family, beautiful life, beautiful career, like everything. He still watches games with like a certain amount of like intellectual curiosity and intensity. He could still like go into any training room in the country and break down film for anybody and bring something new that no one has ever thought of. He was creative. Well, he was innovative with what he did. I mean, sitting in the meeting with him, and then we had. Norm Anderson was the running backs coach, running backs quarterback coach, played at UCLA. And then Steve Morton was offensive line coach. Holy Jesus. You want to talk about a brain trust going at it and scheming and, and, and putting plays together and conceptually really putting you, putting them with lesser talent in better positions to win. The fact that we went six and five that year was incredible. And we should have beat Oklahoma, but he, that's Jeff Shooter. <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell you one story about Jeff? I, I was kind of Coach Walden's like operations guy on the road. Absolutely. So he always did the Sunday night. He always did on his Sunday night show. He always interviewed the opposing coach, right? So I go get Barry Switzer, and we go to go to the this show, and they're doing the taping of it, and. First question that Jim Walden asked him, you guys might remember this. He says, last year in the national championship game against Miami, they kind of had your number. And now this year, everybody's trying to tell you to get out of the, get out of the, the wishbone. Well, you know, how do you feel about that? And Barry Switzer, Switzer says, Jimmy, last year we went to Lincoln, Nebraska. And in the first series, they scored a touchdown. And they went 15 consecutive three and outs. And nobody's telling them to get out of the fucking eye. And we rolled. <laughs> we were laughing our asses off. And the producer, I can't remember who it was, says, all right, let's do it again. Let's not drop the F-bomb. He goes, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> it was fantastic. It was fantastic. Barry Switzer was, was quite the character. It was awesome doing this I, show. I, 
you know, it's it's fun because you you brought up Barry Switzer a couple of times uh, on this episode tonight. Uh, he's one of those guys that um, I mean, what I'd kind of forgotten about, frankly. Um, but uh, man, he brought a lot of uh, not just character, but a lot of um, intensity to the game that I think is is kind of missing. Like it's not a it it wasn't about. Um, recruiting or flash or any of those things individually like he, he you know he, he he had character up the yin yang hold on hold on <laughs> he was the greatest recruiter to ever walk the <laughs> yeah right i'm not talking money wise i'm gonna yeah. did you ever hear this story where he was in in lincoln i believe it was lincoln nebraska and they were beating nebraska at halftime like 21 to 7 and he goes in at halftime and on a on a Payphone, he makes a third party call to a guy in Texas and says, This is Barry Switzer. I'm up here in Lincoln. We're kicking the tire out of out of Nebraska and I cannot relax. I don't feel good about it because I don't know if you're going to Oklahoma or Texas. <laughs> that was Billy Sims. Oh my gosh. That was Billy Sims. And three years later, Billy Sims wins the Heisman Trophy. I was gonna say this is this is uh, pre Big Twelve, so uh, this is Texas in the Southwest Conference. Yeah, so correct, is... but they still hated each other. And they still oh played yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was gonna say this, this it was, was the Red River Shootout. You know when you, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. Yeah, that was that's a great story. So the other uh, the other story, I believe you and I had a conversation the other day. I was watching the uh, the Barry Sanders. Um, a huh. documentary and uh for those of you that have not watched it you should watch it but i picked up a little nugget when i was watching it that he said that he it, his three schools were oklahoma oklahoma state and iowa state and i had to pause it for a second and i was like wait what and uh i think i had tweeted something out uh i believe i tweeted out that he they were in his top three and my buddy bill from fall starts goes chris he only had three schools and I was like, right, that's still the top three. Uh, <laughs> but you you responded as to why he didn't come to Iowa State. You want to tell the reason why? So, so we can break the rest of our hearts. So, <laughs> so we can break. <laughs> he, uh, they offered him, Jim Kreiner and his staff offered him a scholarship to come play football at Iowa State, but only as a defensive back because he was too small to play rugby. Jesus oh my are you <laughs> true story okay well uh i have decided that that has broken my heart uh... <laughs> <laughs> he, said he had to go lay down i did i was I, like you're I, killing yeah. me right now I can't, I can't so um so my my uh my partner's uh cousin's sons just played in the michigan state championship game uh on sunday like literally we bought the live stream watched that on on sunday uh one is the uh the starting quarterback one is the starting wide receiver but then the, you know like you do in high school football you play both sides of the ball it's it's a a town in michigan that you know three thousand people it's basically the size of the town i grew up in wilton iowa uh the, you play both sides of the ball whatever uh 
star track athletes. Uh, one one state in the long jump, but the other one actually holds the state record. Not at state in the long jump, like it's like like complete record holders, but they don't want to go to school unless they can play together playing the positions they want to play. Uh, I just can't imagine though, like saying Barry Sanders or anyone or like how do you, how do you not have how do you how do you discount someone that talented based off of like just some arbitrary I I don't how how so how? in a little bit of defense of him the guy was he was little especially in high school he was not a big person. Um, and back then it was the Big Eight, and it was what he did to the Big Eight in 1988 is unheard of. It, these people talk about, oh, they broke his touchdown record. No, the hell they did not break his no. touchdown record. His touchdown record was in 11 games that didn't even count the, the game against no. uh, Wyoming when he scored four more and had 270 yards rushing in that game. Yeah. Right. You know, we kicked his ass. You knew that, right? For three quarters. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. No, yeah, no I. 113 I, yards and one touchdown through three quarters. Three quarters, he goes for 180 on six carries and three touchdowns in it, it 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 still makes me uh, very happy to understand how well we did against uh, Coach Gundy as well uh, as a quarterback for for uh, the Cowboys. Uh, like <laughs> like to understand what that program was like at that time. Um, they came up to our place in, in the 85 when Thurman was really good and it it snowed and it was so cold. It might have been 10 degrees that day and we, there was still snow on the field, ice on the field. And we beat them 15 to 10. That was in 85. Yeah, but and, Thurman, Thurman Thomas also missed the start of a Super Bowl because he forgot his helmet. So let's not give him that. Was not <laughs> that was not true. That was not true. Did you you know what happened on that, okay, so, right? Hold on, 1985. I, I I do, but it's a really I, fun story I, to be I, able I, to say that. I'm a Bills fan. Stop it. <laughs> I actually found this game on YouTube. Believe it or not. Well, the 85 game, yeah. Yes, yeah, so I, I I cannot believe that this is on YouTube. Yeah, we beat them. Uh, we beat them 15 to 10. I I may watch this tomorrow. Temperature is 18 degrees. Is this Tecmo Bowl? What are you even no, showing this me? Is, this is the 1985 <laughs> number seven Oklahoma State at Iowa State. Wow, it leads the game. series seven to six. Right there. Man, look at those uniforms. I would do anything for those. Look at those red stupid helmets. Yeah, yeah. Yellow so helmets and red helmets. And the mixture, yeah. You know, uh, Keith, I, I brought this up with Blaze. Uh, why are the shoulder pads like three feet wider than they need to be? Like, have you noticed like technology? Yeah. I Remember the so. first cell phones? Tim knows he was a big fan of saved by the bell and Zach and his phone. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was very much a fan of Save by the Bell when Steve <laughs> was on it. I, mean, I don't know. It's, it's what it is. Very, yeah. I mean, it was. It was quite the time. I mean, there was. I still think back to the days with, with my guys and the and the team, and you know, we get together once or twice a year still, and it's 
it's a great, great time. It's the greatest experience I've ever had. Um, love every minute of it. Um, suffer with it like everybody else does. But well, so so uh, Keith, that, that that leads me to a, a great kind of segue here because uh, we have a, a question sponsored by Kyle Lehman at Wintress Mortgage about what you've learned. I, I know that you have listened to the podcast. So you know kind of what's coming. So I'm going to let Chris go ahead and tee up exactly what this this, this question is. Uh, once again, sponsored by Kyle Lehman at Wintress Mortgage. Please check him out. Uh, certified to give you a mortgage in all 50 states. So please go ahead and, and uh, reach out to Kyle for all your mortgage needs. Okay, so Keith, your, your question is, is you have a time machine you can go back 10 years and 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 sit down with keith from 2013 what piece of advice are you going to give keith back then so we'll let you think of your answer we'll play this uh quick uh note from from uh, kyle and then we'll come back with your answer are you in the market for a new house and unsure of the mortgage process want to know that you have someone looking out for you Kyle Lehman from Wintrust Mortgage is a down-to-earth, knowledgeable lender who can be there for you in your corner. He can work with you in any of the 50 states and is just what you need to expand your home search. Kyle will work with you through the entire process with little to no work from you. Take the worry of the mortgage process out of the equation so that you can focus on looking for your dream home. Contact Kyle at www.wintrust.com forward slash Kyle dash Lehman or call him at 515-473-0546. All right, Keith. Uh, so we asked the question, you go back 10 years, you sit down with Keith from 2013. What piece of advice are you going to give him? This is kind of hard. Um, Spend as much time and then some with your daughter. Um, get to know her better. Get to know what what motivates her, what is things that she wants to do. Um, I was so focused on my career and my job, I lost sight of my daughter. We got a great relationship now, but I missed a lot of years. I can, I can relate to that. I, th I think. Yeah, that one that one hit me right in the feels. Yeah. I have a I have a really really great relationship with Caitlin. Um, the the relationship what I have with my oldest isn't the greatest sometimes, and I look back at that a lot with a lot of regret. Yeah, it's job will always be there, or a job will always be there, but. Being able to spend the time, the, the right time, and the quality, not just the quality time, but the quantity time as well. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do have to say, though, uh, Keith, uh, you you have been one of these guests on this podcast who I think has uh, taught us a lot about the past. Uh not, not just about Iowa State Athletics, right? Like, just like what life was like at that time and how things have changed. And I, I think uh, one thing we always try to do on this podcast is to understand that like things Chris, change. put those two stadiums up. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's throw this up here. One sec. I mean, I, I think, I think the one consistent 
uh, thing in life, the one constant is that things change. <laughs> right? Uh, there it is. That's 19, I believe that's 1985. Yep. Uh, by the way, I want to point out uh, how fucking awesome tailgating was even back in 1985. Right? Look at this. We're still a really good tailgating school that I don't think we get enough credit for. Like, look how, like, that's still awesome tailgating. So, like, you don't get tailgating like that. 1985, Iowa State still kicks 2023 Minnesota tailgating. It kicks just about the- everybody. God. Yeah. So there's a football office right straight north, a building that's shaped like an eye. That was it. Yeah. The Olsen building. Oh, yeah. So we tailgated down here where the rich people tailgate now. That's where I was in college. (laughs) Right outside this this, this (laughs) dinky little scoreboard here. And here's what's crazy. I I, I tell Caitlin, because she was a student at Iowa State, you know, and she had great student season tickets. And when I was there... It was in the upper level up here. Oh, yeah. Student tickets were all the way up here in the upper level. They We were yep. nowhere close to the field. No, I remember the, I remember the, the, uh, the TD yardometer that the students had, uh, back in the day for Troy Davis was way up, like basically on the upper, upper deck. And that's, so there's a, score there's a senior tight end. There's Mike Bush's second from the right. Craig Mahoney's is an orthopedic surgeon, uh, down in Des Moines. Dave Benoit is, Worked for the Chicago Board of Trade. There's a dumbass me. And that big <laughs> mother right there, right there to just to the right of me. Right, right there. That guy, Tom Stoniak. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Uh, there's, there's a picture with him blocking Willie Pless uh, from, from Kansas. And Willie Pless's feet is about two feet off the ground. And he, he was head up over top of him. Yeah, it came <laughs> off the ball and just picked him up. Just beat the shit. He was unbelievable. <laughs> he was unbelievable. So, and, I, uh, I mean... And then the, the, the black fellow was, uh, what's it, Marcus's last, Marcus Lester. He passed away a few years ago. So, and then Mike Bush, who was All-American, was a freshman. Mike so, well, so... We, sorry, Tim. You, he spoke about this guy and we'd be a little... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. His photo here. Of... Uh, huh. <laughs> he was he was pretty, gonna make me cry. pretty loved he was pretty loved you're gonna make that guy was unbelievable that guy was unbelievable I, I we don't have to name tonight I, the, that guy you know look up the top 50 football players in the state of Iowa all time top 50 players state of Iowa three of them were from Parkersburg mm-hmm and the fourth one, Brad Meester, started 209 games in the NFL, 13 straight seasons, and wasn't listed in the top 50. I just don't think they wanted to put four guys Another. out of 2,000 people. <laughs> in one time, so we, used I, to, we, used to, we used to get excited when we scored touchdowns when I was growing up in Parkersburg. We were horrible. Mm-hmm. Horrible. <laughs> this guy came in, and his son... Aaron, oh my, you need to have Aaron on your show. Shit. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Jared DeVries is on this list. Yeah. Casey Wigman. Aaron Cantman. Uh, yep. Wow. 
So Keith, what do you, what do you think is the biggest lesson that football taught you? You know, for me, it was always about being the best teammate. I mean, the mm-hmm. discipline of being a teammate, the discipline of putting the team in front of self. Mm-hmm. The, the trying, and I learned it as, as a coach for years later, and I, even still today with what I do now, you know, just learning to try to help become people the very best they can be. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 things that you, the, the things that you learn in between the stripes is so much greater than anything you could learn in a classroom. And mm-hmm. every sport's got its part, but nowhere is there anything better than an, on, on a football field. Mm-hmm. If you ever get a chance, read the book by Bill Curry, 10 Men I Met in a Hub. Freaking awesome. He was offensive center for the Green Bay Packers. Yep. Yeah. Awesome, awesome book. But, you know, there's so many things, so many life lessons learned. You know, you take care of the little things, the big things take care of themselves. You know, it's just like stuff that. like that. I mean, I like Coach, Coach, uh, Coach Campbell says, you know, living in the margins, you know, or, you know, in that point. But, yep. You know, it, it's, there's so many little things that, that you learn along the way that just carry on. And sometimes we, feel, I feel like we missed out, but then at other times I think our experience during our days there were greater because we became very glued. The guys that stayed were very glued. Yeah. And um, sometimes and that foxhole that mentality, that foxhole mentality Ugh, yeah, um, man. can bond you. Um, I, I, know, I, felt... away. I tell you, I promise yeah. you, you know, the beach riots were up was, was our party. You knew that, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right there in the corner of Nap and Welch. That was yep. a lot of guys in that house. And, 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 uh, that was maybe not one of our finest moments, but we did. It's their fault, everybody that, uh, we didn't, we didn't get experienced visa. So, oh no, no! I Visha did. went on for several. Visha went on several more years until yeah. some guy got stabbed, and then it went on a little bit more. And then <laughs> former Iowa Stater and former Dallas Cowboy David Irving maybe stole a uh, stop sign off of Welch sign. Avenue. <laughs> oh man! Uh, yeah, uh, I just wanted a cherry pie. Um, anyway, um. Uh, Keith, we have taken up enough of your time. We, I, man, I cannot, I, I could, I could literally just sit here and talk to you for hours and hours. Uh, I, I feel like there's so if, many. If I ever get a chance to do this again, let's make sure it's in the summertime when I can sit out back and smoke a cigar. Man. There you go. Oh, well, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like there's a remote location at Keith's house I, that we should. I was gonna say, I was gonna say, literally, I feel like this is a, I've a seen, broadcast. I've seen pictures, so an, it's nice an to on site broadcast where we can all sit there. <laughs> Sip our, our Riddleton uh, uh, whiskey and uh, and uh, I, I tell you what, if you want to have some fun sometime when we're back in 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 Ames for or a lot of us go to Ankeny and get a, get a, a room of us around. Chris, you guys come down. Yeah, I'm telling we'll, you, we'll hook, we'll hook up the mics. Oh my God, you guys will just listen. I, I will all tell I you, do I was... is with Tim Creaseman on one side of the room and Todd Oxley on the other. We'll just shut <laughs> I'll tell you. <laughs> I will tell you when I was there that uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, I couldn't have uh, appreciated it more. You welcome me in, and Greg welcome me in, and 
And that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I, I will tell you this, though. Tonight has has popped an idea. I, I'll tell you who I need to get you in a room with is uh, Coach John Walling. Do you know who John Walling is? Red Dog. Yes. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. I lived on the same door floor. Oh, shut up. <laughs> I absolutely I absolutely love Coach Walling. And, man, I'm telling you, I, I feel like there could be some stories there, too. Yeah, oh, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, Red so, Dog. Well, we, we do have one very last question because we can't leave uh, Steph uh, hanging on That's right. uh, uh, on her bit. So, uh yeah, I know. She told me to shut the fuck up. So, Chris, go ahead and, and, and open this. In honor of, of Steph Copley telling you to shut the fuck up, we decided to uh, sumo sponsor uh, this. So we're going to play a clip uh, from Steph. There'll be a QR code that if, if you feel the need to, to scan it and uh, donate to the Young Women's Resource Center, um, that would be super great. And uh, then when we come back, Keith... Uh, Tim and I have to shut the fuck up and you get carte blanche. You can say whatever you want, which, you know, you've pretty much done anyways, but we don't want to interrupt you this time. Hey, everybody. It's Steph Copley, the woman behind the STFU segment on the Old Man Strength podcast. When I told the guys I wanted to sponsor this segment, they recommended that I make a charitable donation instead. So that's what I did. I chose the Young Women's Resource Center in Des Moines, Iowa. They're a nonprofit that supports, educates, and advocates for girls and young women ages 10 to 24. Their whole goal is to make sure that these young women become strong, self-confident, and successful. And if you know me at all, you know that aligns with my goals as well. If you're interested and would like to donate, check them out at ywrc.com org and donate today and remember don't forget to stfu and listen every once in a while thanks all right and we're back and we you can uh meet some of the people that work at young women's resource center uh, uh saturday the 9th they will be down there running our auction and they'll have a bunch of information on the young women's resource center and other ways that you can help them so we are really hoping that we can raise a lot of money for them so all right keith Tim has to shut the fuck up, and I just want to keep saying that. So, and uh, yeah, we'll be quiet. You know, I I love my university. I, I I absolutely love that, and I love the guys that I played ball with. I love the guys that I just worked necessarily football. I was there for a long time, so I got to know a lot of people at, at, at a lot of different levels. Um, it's a great place. Coach Thomas used to say. You know, always be proud of where you came from. They can't take it away from you. And uh, whenever I go anywhere, when I'm on an airplane, I got the colors flying. Whenever I'm coming back from any kind of a meeting, I got the colors flying. Whenever I'm doing a presentation for work or for anybody, the board of directors of the company I work for know they're going to know what Iowa State did that week. And when we kicked Wisconsin's ass in the basketball tournament (laughs) two years ago, I, I reveled in that because they were all from this. The company I work for is Wisconsin, and they're all Wisconsin grads. Oh, so yeah. I love you guys. Thank you so much for everything you did. It's uh, it's been a pleasure. Um, you guys are doing a great job. I've got some other folks. I'll get with Chris about some other guys that I think would be, do a hell of a lot better than what that I did here. But I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you guys and everybody on. You'd be hard pressed to do that, Keith. But yeah, we no. we appreciate it. Thanks no, so much. I- I don't know. Keith Shroggy, we are very grateful that you joined us on an old man's strength. 
uh, it's been uh, one of the more enjoyable for me, just laughing along episodes. I sh- shit seriously, if you ever host Chris and I at your place with whiskey and cigars, we will be there in a heartbeat. <laughs> I I kind of feel like this has just been more shooting the shit with a friend. It's been fantastic. I have had all so. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um. Anyway, listeners, we are so grateful that you joined us for yet again another edition of Old Man Strength. Uh, please go ahead and join us once again. I know we've plugged it once or twice or seven times during this podcast, but please join us down at Revelton Distilling Company, 1400 West Lake Street in Osceola, Iowa, on December 9th, where we will have events and a raffle, and you get to make fun of Chris to his face and tell him how silly he looks right to his face it's the best part uh as long as you're raising money you can call me you <laughs> i mean you also get to see my very handsome face it, right. it's perfect yes. um yeah. anyway uh please go and check us out and if you can't be there uh please go ahead and find all the links that we share to the Young Women's Resource Center and everything else that we do to support everything that's going on we want to thank Revolution Distilling uh, gravitate co-working and Kyle Lehman at Wintress Mortgage for making sure that all of this is possible. Uh, please go ahead and check out everything else. Uh, folks, we hope that you're having a great holiday season. Um, Chris, anything else that we have to say? No, we've uh, we've got new episodes every week. Ball Don't Lie, Hawk's Eye View, Side of the Storm. We're running strong. Uh, rumor is, is that, that Bitter Units is actually still a podcast. Um, I don't know when we're going to have another episode. That's my that's my chance to, to put a dig in at Tim and Aaron. So, and JT. But that's mostly at Aaron. You know, uh, you know, because JT is the real star uh, of that podcast. So. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is. Uh, that that is perfectly fair. So anyway, yes, we have a lot of great content. So please go ahead and check that out. Uh, Keith, anything else you want to throw in there at the last second here? I would love to read these texts that I've got from all the guys. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, well, damn. Even, even this is an error. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Tell, tell all your friends. Uh, we had quite a few listeners tonight. We hope that you guys stick around with us uh, after Keith's here on future episodes and whatever else because we, we certainly enjoy uh, the interaction and the support. So thank you guys all for listening. Uh, have a happy holidays. Tim, you take us out. Yeah, we thank you very much, dear listeners. And with that, we will see you guys next time. See you.